Hey everybody, it's good to see you. My name is Brian, one of the pastors at The Summit. We are in a series we've called Jesus the King. We are seeing that Jesus is King. He has come to initiate and inaugurate uh, his good and gracious reign and rule over every area of life. And what we are praying is manifest by the power of the Spirit of God in your life is a, uh, a unique receptivity and longing for the experience of the goodness of life when Jesus is Lord over every area of life. And I think the story that we're about to look at and that we just read is going to uniquely point to this reality. What we've been in is a season of Matthew where we see that Jesus heals, that Jesus heals. And what we're going to see in this particular story is not just that Jesus heals, but why Jesus heals. He's not just after kind of becoming a celebrity and gathering a crowd by impressing people with his magic tricks. He heals for particular reasons. In many ways, his healings are like signposts pointing to a larger and greater reality of the work that he has come to do in our lives and in the world. And in particular this week, what we're going to see is that Jesus heals in order to point to his authority. Jesus heals to point to that he is meant to have this place of reigning and ruling over every single area of our lives, that there is a unique goodness and kindness when Jesus is authority. Now, let me just acknowledge this on the front end. I think that um, probably some of you already are like, can he use that word authority? Like, is that, is that an okay word to use? It's almost like a curse word uh, in our particular cultural moment. I think for a lot of really valid reasons. There is a unique cultural uh, skepticism and cynicism towards those in authority in this particular moment. And I think not just in this particular moment, but if you study history over the last several decades, um, if you kind of have this posture of, can I trust anybody in power? I think that's a, a very normal and natural feeling to have right now, um, you're not alone in that. And, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to dive into all of this, but from the ways that maybe you process the story of your family of origin, the way that your parents, your first uh, authority figures in your life might have hurt you, to the ways that you know we see the uh, uh, political chaos of the climate right now, um, the ways that we've seen scandal after scandal of those in power uh, not use that power to bless and build up, but rather to hurt and to exploit and take advantage of. I think that most people, at least most people I'm talking to feel right now, um, is not, you know what, we're just one right person away, one right person being elected away to everything being okay again. But instead, I think a lot of people have retreated to a posture of skepticism, cynicism, apathy. I can't really trust anyone out there. And here's the thing is if it's because I can't trust anybody out there, the only person I can exclusively trust is me. Um, I can't trust any authorities out there, and consequently, the person who should be in charge of my life and the areas of life that matter the most is me. If there's anybody that I can trust, it is me. Now, if you feel that, you're not alone. If you feel that, I totally get why you feel that. But if you feel that, I just want to start, before we dive into the text, just pushing you a little bit to maybe have... Um, the health and the self-awareness to recognize not only should we be cynical and skeptical towards the authorities out there, but we should be cynical and skeptical towards the authority in here as well. I totally get the instinctual thinking that if there's one person I can trust to make me happy, it's me. 
But my guess is you're healthier than that, you're more self-aware than that, and you have the ability to look back on your own story and recognize that you functioning as authority over your life has not exclusively led to blessing and happiness and joy, but rather a lot of times the common denominator and the choices of life that have hurt you the most has been you telling yourself, this is going to go well for me. And instead what you entered into was deep heartache and pain. All the time, I'm talking to people who made decisions in the trenches of counseling people, walking through heartache, who were trying to make sense of, why is it that I thought that I was going to make a decision that makes me happy, and actually what it led to was great pain and great heartache? If I can't trust myself, who can I trust. And that feeling, beloved, that feeling of not only should I be cynical and not only when I'm self-aware, should I be skeptical of the authorities out there, but I should be cynical and skeptical towards the authority in here is actually meant to not lead you to freaking out, but to a posture of neediness and dependency that says, I really need somebody above me and greater than me to come into my life and reign and rule and help me understand how to handle the areas of life that matter the most, that they aren't qualified to tell me what to do, and even I'm not qualified to tell me what to do. All the time, I feel like I hear um, people look back on major decisions they made in their life that didn't go well for them, and they'll, they'll say this, I wish there had just been somebody to tell me I wish there had just been somebody to help me. And so this kind of posture of, I wish there was somebody who was smarter than me and greater than me, who really does love me and really does have my best interests in mind. And if you feel that, if you feel that skepticism towards the authorities out there and skepticism towards the authority in here, you are perfectly qualified to receive the unique good news of the point that Jesus is going to make here is that he doesn't just heal, but he heals to point to that he is the one who is meant to reign and rule over every area of our lives. And the declaration of his authority is not imposition, but rather liberation and an invitation into the goodness of life when he is king over us. So I can't wait to show you this reality. It's deeply burdensome to me that you would grasp this in your life, that I would grasp this in my life. We're going to take um, the passage we just read. We're actually going to do it kind of um, backwards. So I'm going to do the second passage first, and then I'll do the first passage second. If that doesn't make sense, we'll just jump right into it, starting in verse 18. Our first point is this, is what's hidden within Jesus's healings. What's hidden within Jesus's healings. So the healings of Jesus, basically we're going to start to see there's the gift of healing and there's almost gifts within the gift. Um, it makes me think, for example, at Christmas, my wife is a very good gift giver, uh, always will give a Christmas stocking. And the way that a Christmas stocking functions, it's a gift that has gifts within it. Okay. So you get the gift of the stocking and then within the stocking are a diversity of gifts where she puts little things primarily uh, candy that I like. Shout out to the Sour Patch lovers uh, watching the video right now. Um, there's gifts within the gift. That's the way that the healings of Jesus are. There's the gift of healing that he gives his people, and there's gifts within the gift, and we're going to see two particularly emerge as we start to look at verse 18. Now, verse 18 says this, Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, 
he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him uh, and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, pause for a second and recognize the way that Jesus is about to respond is not the way the majority of us would respond. He's just started a movement. And um, this is sort of the dream. What we see in verse 18, a crowd starts to follow him. So for a lot of us, we're just content having a lot of people like us. And not only that, but the crowd possesses people within it who are starting to fawn all over him. I mean, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Um, seems like the dream. I mean, what, what allegiance uh, is emerging? And um, Jesus responds with what on the surface seems like two absolutely kind of momentum killing statements. It's almost like, Jesus, don't respond to that. Are you trying to mess everything up? You've got a crowd of people who loves you. But Jesus is after something better than just gathering a crowd. He's after shaping and forming deeply committed disciples of him. And look at the way that he responds here as he starts to reveal to us two gifts that emerge in this gift of healing we're seeing express itself again and again. First, Jesus surprises us with his empathy, his empathy, that his healings point to his empathy towards his people, that Jesus is not just some miracle worker who puts on a show. He is a shepherd who walks through the valley of the shadow of suffering and death with his people. Jesus has a statement in verse 20 where he says, um, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. On the surface, it's kind of like, what in the world is Jesus saying? And um, I'm just going to read to you an explanation from a theologian named N.T. Wright, um, because what he says here, I just think it, it can't really be improved. <laughs> Here's what uh, N.T. Wright says about this statement. Jesus is saying, this isn't just an exciting and triumphant march. That is like what he is about. Don't, don't be confused about the healings. This isn't just some exciting and triumphant march. Following the one who has God's authority, watching him do mighty and powerful things all over the place. This is a commitment to one whose authority is given in order that he can go to the places where the world is in its deepest pain and be there with and for the people who are suffering it. I'm going to read that again because I think it's just so powerful. That a commitment to Jesus is to the one whose authority is given in order that he can go to the places where the world is in its deepest pain and be there with and for the people who are suffering it. Even foxes and birds have places to which they can go back when they're tired. Jesus will have none. We have no place to rest his head until at last it rests lifeless on the cross. So what emerges in his healings is his empathy towards his people. Secondly, what also emerges in his healings, as we've been discussing, is his authority over his people. And not just over his people, but the totality of the cosmos, even as we'll see uh, shortly, even over nature itself. Jesus is not just here to impress these people so that they might have a... Um, vague admiration the way that we would towards a celebrity. Think about this. Jesus wants to be more than a celebrity. For a lot of, for a lot of us, um, even if we have just a unique love for a particular celebrity, we might admire them, but they don't like determine the most important areas of our lives. For example, we are in the middle of the NBA playoffs. Thanks be to God. And so, for example, I have a unique love for 
one of the stars of the Denver Nuggets, Nikola Jokic. I think he's amazing. I think his game is so unique. I love what he does, love his shuffle and all that. But um, the reality is, is like Nikola Jokic doesn't have authority. I, I'm not thinking about the way I'm gonna treat my wife. I'm not thinking about the way that I'm gonna raise my kids. I'm not thinking about the areas of life that matter the most, like money and sex through the lens of like, well, what does Nikola Jokic have to say about this? That would be a very odd thing to do because celebrities are not meant to have that sort of authority over our lives. But Jesus is not just a celebrity. He's something more than that. He's a king and kings reign and rule over their people. And that is just the kind of declaration that Jesus is saying here when ha what happens in verse 21, when it says, another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, here's what's interesting about what's going on here is in first century Jewish culture, there was something you did at the beginning of every single day. You know, for us in 21st century uh, Denver culture, you start your day in a particular way. So maybe the way that you start your day is by grabbing your phone. It's just like, what you have to do. You don't even want to do it, but you have to do it if you're going to be okay. What's interesting in first century Jewish culture is the way that basically everybody started their day was a certain prayer called the Shema. Uh, it came from Deuteronomy chapter six, and that's the way you would start your day. Now, what's interesting is, what we know from history, is there was one thing that was so uh, uh, significant that could unfold in somebody's life that it would trump uh, beginning your day with the that particular prayer, and that would be the death of your father. Basically, in whatever scenario is being brought to Jesus here, when he says, let me go bury my father, and we don't know a whole lot about the details of what's folding. Is this, is this hypothetical? Is this about to happen? Did it happen? Whatever it is. What's important for you to understand is the situation being brought to Jesus right now is basically the most significant thing that could happen in somebody's life that would kind of trump everything else. And here is Jesus making this startling claim of his authority where he's saying, you know what? Even that I'm preeminent over. Even that situation I have authority over. The point that Jesus is making in this declaration is that one of the points of his healings is the point to the reality that he is king is meant to reign and rule over and that we are meant to receive him, obey him, and follow him in every single area of life without exception. It is a startling claim that Jesus is making in this particular moment. So what's hidden in Jesus' healings up to this point, there's more than this. What we see in particular in what's unfolding here is pointed his empathy, his authority, his empathy, his authority. Now, second point, what's awesome about Jesus's Authority, And when I use that word awesome, I'm not using it maybe in like the colloquial way that the kids talk uh, now, nowadays. Um, I, I'm, I'm talking about like the original usage of that word awesome. This idea of that which inspires all, that the authority of Jesus and the way in which he wields this power is meant to produce within us uh, an awe, a wonder, a soul-shaking awareness of his unique kindness and power towards us. Because, again, like we said on the front end, what, what, 
if any of us are being honest or anticipating, is that sort of uh, claim of authority that Jesus is making is something that uh, anybody who's paying attention right now would recognize that culturally we bristle at and we reject. And what's so beautiful about this scene that precedes Jesus making this claim is Jesus is not just making a claim to authority, but he is giving us a glimpse into the unique kindness and way that he wields this authority. And beloved, this longing for authority that we've talked about, that we talked about at the very beginning, finds its satisfaction in Jesus. Because he's not only the one who possesses true authority, but he's the one who uniquely wields that authority in a way that blesses and builds up for the sake of the flourishing of his people. I just want to say that very plainly on the front end. If you feel right now that Jesus reigning and ruling over your life is going to put you to a place where you have to choose between obeying him and being miserable or rejecting him and being happy, that is not what Jesus is after. Jesus loves you more than you love you. He loves me more than I love me. And consequently, do not believe the lie that originated in the garden from Satan himself, that to follow God and to obey God is to opt into a life of misery and missing out but rather to live underneath the good and gracious reign and rule of Jesus is an invitation to flourish in the way that you were designed and long to flourish. And we see this emerge. Let's look, work our way backwards and go back to verse 14 and see some of the things that point to why we should receive Jesus as um, authority and king over our lives. What are some of the things that Jesus' authority is marked by? Well, one, we see, for example, his authority is marked by the giving of radical value. For example, verse 14 says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Now, what's so interesting, we're in our third healing story in a row now. And it's not just that Jesus heals, but who Jesus chooses to heal. The uh, unlikeliest, and a lot of times, the people who are viewed with the least value, the least significance in the culture. Week one, heals a leper. Week two, he heals a centurion, a Gentile. Week three, he's now healing a woman. We're seeing the unique heart of God for those who are marginalized, those who are deemed unworthy, those who are deemed insignificant, those who are deemed to be on the fringes and that his heart is uniquely aligned to the blessing and building up of those people. In the first century, a leper, a Gentile, uh, a woman, would have been seen as the last people deserving of the unique affection of the king. And yet in the upside down nature of the kingdom of the gospel, Jesus uniquely prioritizes the blessing of those people. There's a radical value that Jesus bestows upon those in culture that have been deemed as valueless. Two, we see radical power emerge underneath his authority. This is very crucial to understand because all the other cultural claims to authority are not backed up by true power. Jesus alone possesses the kind of power deserving of having this role over our lives. Verse 15 says, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. Now, there are all sorts of wild interpretations of like, what exactly does this mean? I think a lot of times the simplest is the best in interpreting the Bible. And there's just kind of two things that point to Jesus' power here. One, 
He heals her. That's just power right there, right? Like, don't miss that. She had a fever, which would have been very, very serious, incredibly serious. Don't think like, you know, she's running a 99.1 degree you know, temperature. Would Think like this is a very scary condition that uh, she's in. Lays hands on her, boom, she's healed. And she's not only healed, but she's restored back to kind of just life as normal. She's, she's just a, boom, immediately back to doing what it is that she was doing. That Jesus has that kind of power to exercise in his people's lives. Third, radical sacrifice. Don't miss this detail. He touched her hand and the fever left her. Now, what's really interesting is who Jesus chooses to touch and not touch in these first three stories of healing. We've seen Jesus heal um, a leper. We've seen him heal a centurion servant. And now we've seen him heal uh, this woman. And what's interesting of these three stories, he chooses only to touch two of the three. And the two of the three that he chooses to touch in order to heal are the two of the three who would have been viewed as being dangerous to touch. Touches a leper doesn't touch the paralytic, touches a woman with a fever. Isn't that interesting? Because you can't catch paralysis. So you would think the opposite would be true, right? He would lay hands on the paralyzed person. You would heal the people with the contagious, dangerous diseases from a distance. But Jesus is making a point, and it's particularly that point that emerges when Matthew makes the connection to the Old Testament uh, prophet Isaiah's declaration of the work the Messiah will come to do, that surely he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. What's interesting is historically and theologically, there's been some debate in terms of what exactly does that mean? Is it talking about physical healing? Is it talking about healing from sin, spiritual healing? And a lot of times, I think what the point that Matthew is making here is that's a false dichotomy. It's not an either or, but rather the physical healing points to the robust spiritual eternal healing the Messiah has come to do. And not just that he will heal, but the way that he will heal, that healing will come at great extent expense to himself. Anybody who would have witnessed him lay hands on the leper, anybody who would have witnessed him lay hands on the woman with the fever would have said, what are you doing? Heal her from a distance. You could get sick. Are you going to get sick so that she can be made well? Yes. (laughs) He will be the one who takes our illnesses and bears our diseases. And the substitutionary nature of the healings that we're seeing Jesus performing in this scene points to the glorious substitutionary work that Jesus is going to do in the gospel that he will take our place for our sins and he will take upon himself our illnesses so that we might be made well. That he will be treated as sinful so that we might be treated as sinless. That he will experience what it's like to be abandoned and punished because of sin so that we might be gifted his status of belovedness. That we will be adopted into the family of God and be treated not as enemies, but rather through the lens of the perfect, gifted righteousness of Jesus. Beloved, this should cause us to awe and wonder and worship, even in the midst of the chaos in which you're experiencing this right now, where you might have kids running around, you might feel super distracted, where just for a moment, awe and wonder and worship should break into our hearts to say, not only does this king named Jesus have absolute cosmic total authority, but he has chosen to wield that authority, not to punish me and hurt me and to abandon me and to use me, but to bless me 
and to change me and to heal me and to forgive me a great expense to himself. What other person in power chooses to do that? Nobody else other than Jesus. Nobody else other than Jesus. So when we see Jesus' stunning claim to authority, rather than cynicism and skepticism, there should be produced within our hearts a posture of finally the one for whom my soul has longed. Finally, a solution to that longing that I wish there had been somebody to tell me how to handle the areas of life that matter the most. Because nobody has power like this man has power, and nobody loves me in the way this man loves me. And so Shekinah is going to come back up here and lead us to a time of response and introspection and reflection. But before we do that, I just, I'm really burdened by this. I want to pray that by the power of God's Spirit, in the same way that, you know, a, a surgeon just skillfully and lovingly cuts towards that which is growing inside us that's going to kill us. So the Spirit of God would cut through our cynicism and skepticism that is so culturally celebrated in this moment that is leading to us rejecting the good news that Jesus is meant to have this unparalleled role in our lives. So I just want to pray this over you so that we're ready to receive uh, a time even of response. So Jesus... We're thankful for your declaration that you are a king and that you are meant to be preeminent over every single area of life. Everything, without exception. Sex, money, priorities, vision of the good life, ethics, politics, cultural issues, everything. No one, nothing else is meant to be preeminent. You alone are deserving of that kind of power. That, God, before we just even ask you to have that role in our lives, I want to ask you, by the power of your Spirit, to cut away the callousness that surrounds so many of our hearts that leads to us resolving that we should be in charge and determine what matters the most. I want to pray that people feel a certain safety to struggle with you in this, that um, there are deep, deep wounds, um, that we lament wounds from parents, wounds from authority figures. There's, there's very little that's painful as not just being hurt by being, but being hurt by somebody who's an authority figure. But God, I pray in your kindness, you would bring even just healing to hearts right now where people are able to heal from the ways they've been wounded and to receive the unparalleled good news that Jesus, you use your authority to be empathetic and to walk with us and understand us and draw near to us and to reign and rule over us in the way we were designed to be reigned and ruled over. Please, right now in this moment, let us believe and receive the good news that nobody is as powerful as you are and nobody loves me as much as you love me. And let us be ready now to receive and to surrender and to believe and follow and obey. And we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.